The Water Values Podcast, Session 12. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimson. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Water Values Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, we're officially two months old and we're closing in on 3,000 total downloads. That's well ahead of where I thought we'd be when we started the podcast. So thank you for continuing to listen and download the Water Values Podcast. Let's keep this great momentum going. Please take 20 seconds to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. That's the best way to help keep the visibility of the podcast high on iTunes and Stitcher and other podcast directories so that other people interested in water can find the podcast and start listening. Okay, on to today's program. We've got another first for you. It's a double interview. We're lucky to have Lisa Bryant, the Assistant Field Manager of the Bureau of Land Management, or BLM, uh, of their field office in Moab, Utah, and Jeremy Jarnicki, the state hydrologist for the BLM in Utah. Lisa and Jeremy provide a wealth of information about why water is so important on public lands and how water fits into the BLM's mission and permitting process. So for an agency whose primary mission is land management, you might be surprised to learn how much wa- of a role water plays in its operations, at least in the high desert. So here's the disclaimer, and I try to get through this faster each time, so here goes my attempt this week. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that thinks water issues are interesting and that public education about water issues is needed. And that includes educating myself about water issues because no one knows everything about water. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Lisa and Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the Water Values Podcast. Greatly appreciate the time you're taking out of the day, out of your day to do this. Um, if we could start off, if you could just tell us uh, a little about the Bureau of Land Management and how it, uh, or, or what it does, and what its jurisdiction is over water. Absolutely. Um my name is Lisa Bryant. I am the assistant field manager in the Moab field office. And the Bureau of Land Management is probably best described as a small agency with a really big mission. And we're overseeing public lands, approximately 245 million surface acres throughout the West, mostly in the 12 Western states, but including Alaska, also some areas in the East. Um, we do have some Eastern states lands. There's also an additional 700 millions of subsurface mineral estates throughout that. And our job is to try and sustain the health, the diversity, and the productivity of those public lands for um, our current use as well as into the future for our children and grandchildren. Jeremy, how about you? Could you please fill us in a little on your background? Sure. My name is Jeremy Jarnicki. I'm the state hydrologist for uh, Utah BLM, and I've been in this position for about two or so years. How does the Bureau of Land Management um, manage water that that is found on those lands? Okay, so specifically with respect to water, we work cooperatively with 
state agencies, um, other Department of Interior agencies, and local partners, as well as uh, state and county folks and non-governmental institutions. Our primary goal is to make sure, as I'd mentioned, we were we try and maintain the health and diversity and productivity of, of our lands, but that, that includes our water too. So water that's managed by or on federal, within our federal jurisdiction, we're gonna try and make sure that we are, we're looking at um, sustaining appropriate flows, sustaining appropriate water quality and meeting state water quality standards, um, ensuring that federal water rights are protected where we can, and working with all those partners and working within both the federal and state legal systems to manage water appropriately. Jeremy, would you add anything to that from your statewide perspective? I think um, you kind of hit the main points. Um, I guess the, the really key point with that is that um, in the West, um, water law basically is um, left up to the states. And so the states are responsible for managing the quantity and quality and distribution of water. So you have like a, in Utah, we have a division of water rights. And so we work closely with the division of water rights um, to like when, when we need to put water to use or when uh, one of our permittees or, or um, other you know, people doing things on public lands want to put water to use. And so we, we have to work with the state to um, even for water rights and uses for our own agency. Okay, and you mentioned permittees. What types of permits are those and how does uh, water impact those permits or, or what's the role of water in, in getting a permit issued, I should say? And I think that completely depends upon the project. For almost all uses of public land, um, particularly any kind of commercial use with respect to recreation or transmission lines, pipelines, mining you mentioned, grazing permittees, which Jeremy just referenced, any use that's on public land that could impact or involve federal water resources um, goes through what we call um, an environmental assessment, or not environmental assessment, environmental analysis. We comply with the National Environmental Policy Act. Um, NEPA is the short term for that. And that basically gives us a forum for looking at a project, looking at what impacts could be a result of that project, analyzing all of those and then incorporating that into um, utilizing all that, the, the assessment or the information as part of a decision-making process, whether to permit or allow a project to move forward on federal lands, on public lands. And so there's a couple of pieces. There's the national environmental policy aspect or the analysis of that, and then there's the actual permitting process. And that's directed by a whole series of different laws or areas of land management. There's mineral laws and mining. There's grazing federal regulations. You get into different things with land use and reality as far as permitting transmission lines and pipelines or even filming, um, commercial filming is, um, requires permits. If you are doing a commercial recreation use event, so say you've got a, a guiding service and you're guiding people down a riverway, 
that takes a different kind of permit. So it actually gets very complicated in our multiple use mandate and our multiple use management mode within our agency because there's an environmental analysis side in which we're trying to comply with the National Environmental Policy Act for making sure that we are permitting things or allowing things to happen in such a way that we can still sustain um, the long-term productivity of the lands per the Federal Land Management Act. Okay, so these permits that we're talking about, they're, they are not wa- you know, water-specific permits. They're um, uh, project permits that have a water element to them. Is that what I'm, that's what I'm getting from Correct. You? I think that goes back to what Jeremy was saying in that actual water rights or um, stormwater prevention, um, I'm trying to think, some stormwater discharge, I guess, was the term I was looking for. Those types of permits are all issued and regulated by the state. And we just require project proponents then that are doing something that could potentially impact water quality. We analyze that as part of our permitting process, but we generally just make sure that they are complying with all the state laws and rules with respect to water quality. Um, Storm discharge permits if there's construction. Um, Jeremy, you're gonna have to help me on this one because I think you know a lot more about those things than I do. Yeah, the stormwater and then and then water quality are, are both. Um, well, the, the, the stormwater permitting and, and like some kind of facility stuff is is permitted through the state. Um, as far as water quality goes, uh, most every action that we do on public lands has to be in compliance with the Clean Water Act, and so there's very specific guidance on on how we um, how and what we can do. Um, it, you know, in different situations when we're looking at land uses. Um, the way that the state is involved is that um, they are responsible for preparing a report on water quality conditions within their state to the EPA every two years. And so um, they basically assess the waters um, in the state, um, report to the EPA. And if there's issues and it's up for water quality issues and it's up to the land manager, you know, whether it be the Forest Service, the BLM, um, private or industry, um, that they address those water quality issues. So um, in, in, our, in our situation, when we look at uh, land use on uh, BLM lands, we um, try to project what the impacts would be to water quality conditions, um, and as well as some of the other acts like the Endangered Species Act or, um, you know, different, different uh, other resources. Terrific. Well, that sounds uh, like an incredibly complex uh, permitting process, at least especially on the water side. Uh, that's just the water side. Um, actually, you know, I had mentioned special recreation use permits for outfitter guides, for example, using the river for that kind of a commercial activity. Not only do they have to get permits with BLM for usually the take in and the take out, because we manage above the bank and above the high water line. There's also permits from what's known in Utah as sovereign lands, um, which manage the islands and the pieces below the main, the mean high water mark within that riverway. And then also, I believe the state, there's some additional permitting, um, although sovereign lands is a division of the state, and I think there's another entity. So it can be very complicated for people who are proposing projects on public lands to make sure that they have complied with all of the different 
um, entities that they do need to get permits from, it's often not just us. We require them to get permits from the state if necessary. Local agencies or counties may also have codes or permits. Um, often with respect to mining, they're getting permits both from us, from the state with respect to water and water quality, and possibly even in the Utah Division of Oil and Gas and Mining, um, UDOGM, for additional permits for water discharge or how they're handling produced water. It gets very, very complex in a hurry, and that's why we encourage people to come in and talk to us when they have project proposals, because we'll help folks work through that. Right. Uh, and the other thing I was going to add, Jeremy talked about water quality, and one of the things that's actually really unique in Utah, or maybe not unique, but I think is really cool, is we work really well with the Division of Water Quality, and have a pretty good program where we do sampling to help them assess water quality. We identify areas where we want to look, where they have interest in determining whether we're meeting state standards. We have an interest in making sure that activities we're permitting aren't having an impact. And we help with that sampling program, and we work really well cooperatively with the state on that. And that's one thing that I think Utah excels at. Um, as far as that federal-state partnership and cooperative relationship. Oh, well, great. Um, that's, that's, that's good that, that you have that good cooperation going. I, you, you've said a couple things I'd like to get into a little more. Um, you, you provided the example of the outfitter who's going to have the take-in, take-out, and needs to get the permit for that. When Let's say that outfitter comes in and says, hey, I want to get permits for doing this. What are the water issues uh, you know, in terms of water quality, it, when that outfitter comes in, what what are you going to be looking at from a water perspective? You know, I think in some respects, a lot of that has already been analyzed and determined at a larger or a bigger level when we've done our resource management planning or our land management planning. So at some point, every office takes a larger look at how they're allocating um permitting of certain types of things. And there are some stretches where we would want to keep something wild and scenic. So we have stretches of the Colorado River where we limit the number of permits and the number of people that would go down. Some of that could be construed as assisting in water quality because you've got fewer people, but then we're also dealing with sanitation issues and that kind of thing a little bit separately. So that's more of a wilderness experience type of a consideration. And then there's areas along the daily or where we have camping. Like one of the things that's actually kind of amazing and one of the reasons we have that kind of a permitting system, um, along the Colorado River, my understanding before I got here in this area was back in the 60s and 70s when river running was just really starting to come into its heyday down here. There were people camped all up and down the river, and it got to the point where the state had some real concerns with water quality from a human recreation and sanitation standpoint and asked the BLM to step in and start cleaning some of that up. And so now what we have is a system of campgrounds all up and down the river where we provide facilities, um, trash pickup, we give people a place to stay, and they're not allowed to camp willy-nilly anywhere along the river. They need to camp um, in 
appropriate places in these campgrounds. And then in addition to that, we're able to provide services. Um, they can camp, they can get group campsites well in advance. Um, there's places for people, there's shade shelters. And so we've really enhanced the recreation experience along the parts of the river where we were getting a lot more concentrated use because it became very clear early on that from a water quality perspective, we couldn't sustain the type of pressure that the river was getting at that point in time. And so that's a land management or a much bigger, broader decision. And then we've done all these smaller projects in terms of developing campgrounds, putting in facilities, making rules about um, how you can't camp outside of those areas that, that helped control that traffic. Those are some things that have developed and evolved over time to help deal with the larger water quality issue um, versus, say, a particular point source from something that sometimes you find more in an industrial or municipal city type of a situation. Right, right. Um, and you've done a great job. You have some fantastic campsites right along the Colorado River there on, uh, what is it, 128? Um, yeah. Yeah, so... You know, we were my family and I were there camping uh, uh, over spring break a month or two ago, and we just had a great time. Um, uh, in any event, uh, uh, you know, getting off of that little aside. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. Again, good a few pluses and minuses to it, but I'm glad oh, oh, it yeah. all worked out very well in the end. And, and and that's something that you know it gives people a great opportunity to explore the Colorado River. And then for those who want a wilder experience, we have some flat water things along the green and sometimes on the San Juan. And then um, West Water is, you know, or Cataract Canyon down farther, it's out of our office area, but um, there definitely are some wilder stretches of river where we offer those opportunities. And as part of that experience for people who are recreating, we also provide um, education about how to take care of things to keep it clean and to minimize impacts. So those are some, I think, examples. Okay, great. Um, you've also talked about uh, mining was one of the things that you uh, you discussed. When you when a when a, a permit application for for mining comes on to uh, your desk, what, what are you guys looking for in terms of uh, the impacts on water quality and things of that nature from the mining permit application? One of the first things we look at, again, I talked about the broader resource management plan, um, which is our bigger over umbrella document for how we're gonna manage things within this field office. And the first thing we look and we see is the area where they're proposing to do an operation um, consistent with areas that we have open or closed within the plan. I mean, we have certain sections of the river corridor that we have closed or at least made no surface occupancy, meaning if somebody can drill or get to something underneath the surface or from a distance away, they could get to it, but they can't be on that surface within that riparian corridor. Um, so the first thing we do is we look at this broader umbrella, our land management plan, to make sure that what they're proposing is consistent with that. That's the first thing. And then the next thing is we look at where they're proposing to get their water. 
hand, if it's not a federal source, if they have another private source of water, often that's sufficient for the proposal to move forward. If they're proposing something of a federal source, then we start looking at whether they have the water rights, and then we start looking at what are the other impacts to maybe riparian or springs. Right now, any additional water depletions that would come out of Colorado River have to go through what's called a depletion process, and now I'm completely going to have to defer to <laughs> on that. But there's a whole series of people that we would consult with and work with before we would ever even consider moving forward with a proposal for something like that. Okay. Uh, and, and Jeremy, what's your perspective on on that, with, on the, the BLM analysis, I, kind of from a statewide perspective? I know Lisa's done a great job kind of filling us in on what her office would look at. Well, you know, especially um, down where Lisa works and all through the whole southern part of the state, um, water is certainly a finite resource. And so you know, ensuring that we have kind of that principle of, of um, you know, water into the future that sustains all of our needs in multiple uses is, is, a, is a huge concern. And so that includes both surface and groundwater. Um, you know, we still want to maintain stream flows and uh, um, keep the, the springs and, and other, like, uh, groundwater-dependent ecosystems functioning to the extent that we can. And so um, essentially we just... Uh, Look at where, you know, we have to ask where, where is your water coming from? Um, do you have a water right for it? And um, just try to work with, uh, you know, we work with the USGS oftentimes to, to help them or for them to help us understand what the impacts would be, like if they are going to draw water um, from an existing uh, well or something like that, either on or off BLM because the impacts can actually propagate, you know, they don't, they don't respect uh, property boundaries as it turns out. So <laughs> the, the impacts of water um, development on your neighbor's land can certainly impact you. So um, we, we try to, you know, look at, at the, the, the physical characteristics of, of wherever they're drawing water and figure out um, if, it's, if it's impactive to BLM resources. And, and if that's a, um, a reasonable impact or if we need to, you know, change the uh, possibly the, you know, the, what the folks are proposing. Terrific. Uh, can, can you guys talk? I know you're not in the energy industry per se, but could you talk uh, uh, just a little about water use in the energy industry, at least the BLM's perspective on that? undergoing what's called a master leasing planning effort, which is taking a closer look at leasing for energy development. And in this area, we are looking primarily at oil and gas development as well as potential potash development because there's been interest and expressed in both. And we are trying in this effort to look at the larger groundwater perspective and what water would be available as a regional mole in a regional sense for any kind of development that would go on um, potentially in the future. So those are some things that we're considering as part of that, as part of energy development. There are a few proposals that come in where companies have their own water rights and use their own water, and some of those water rights do occur on federal land. They've obtained those through the state. And there are others where the, propo the proponent 
actually just uses culinary or another private source of water, in which case, as long as they can assure us that they have a source that's sufficient for the project, um, we go ahead with the analysis and consider the permitting process that way. So again, there's the project by project specific considerations, which really varies very greatly by the project. And then there's the larger overall grand scheme of things. And that's where Jeremy made a really good point about we try and bring in the USGS, who is the science branch of DOI and can offer um, some more information, particularly about groundwater resources. Okay. And with them to develop studies to help us answer some of those questions. Jeremy, on a statewide level for BLM, is it, it is are they kind of doing a similar thing to what Lisa just described with the master leasing uh, assessment? I think uh, the folks in Moab, the Moab field office, um, because of the interest and um, the the level of proposed development. Um, I think they're kind of forging ahead, actually. Um, there's, I think there's just actually a couple of places in the Bureau that are going ahead with this, um, with the master leasing process. Is that right, Lisa? I yeah, that's I've been right. a little more involved in that than I have. Yeah, that's correct. The, the master leasing plan, um, we are part of that as, as part of leasing reform. This is one of the first and largest projects that's ongoing for that. But other offices consider some of that either on a project-by-project -project basis or as we do our resource management plans. Um, those are the types of questions we try and look at. In a lot of areas, the information is not there with respect to groundwater. With surface water, we work really closely with the state. And as Jeremy pointed out, they have those integrated reports that they turn into EPA every two years. So we have a really pretty good picture of what water quality looks like in the state for surface water. Groundwater is where it's a little harder to quantify things. Jeremy, you as the hydrologist, why does BLM, a land management agency, take such an interest in water? What's the overarching thought there? So one of the, the big concerns about uh, public land management here in the West is that um, nearly all of the municipal and domestic water supplies for drinking water actually originate on public lands. So whether that's the Forest Service or the BLM or any of the state agencies that manage lands or the Park Service, um, you know, we, we, we uh, I guess it, it amplifies our burden to ensure that our watersheds and streams and, and springs are adequately uh, managed so that we can preserve those water sources into the future. And that, you know, we, that's why we take so much care in um, assessing the different land uses um, on public land. Wow. That is a great point. I'd, I'd never really thought of it like that before. One last substantive question. Uh, when we were in uh, Moab for spring break, there was, all, there, you know, there's uh, uh, one of the gear shops in town gives away free filtered drinking water. And then there is a spring where you can get free water. Uh, it just seemed odd to me in the desert the high desert, to find people giving away water. What is the genesis of this free water in Moab? Yeah, I actually looked at that a little bit because um, you'd called me early, and I was curious about that too because those are obviously not sources that BLM manages. And the one spring that you talked about is actually known locally as Matrimony Spring. It's along Highway 128. And 
it's been a source of water and a spring that's been there for many, 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 many years. And unfortunately, it's not considered, it's not tested or monitored for its water quality anymore. So it's sort of a drink at your own risk, but it is available to people. Um, and there's been talk of trying to develop that into a potable source that people could use, but it's, it's more than anyone can afford locally. Um, there's been no one really ready to step forward. But the Southeastern Utah Health Department actually has the most information on that. And it's actually, but it's there. People use it. People have been using it for many, many years. Um, and then I talked to Gearheads, who also is one of our local stores in town, and they offer the water basically as a service. It's culinary water. It's for customers or visitors. And from their perspective, it's a safety aspect. We are in a desert, and water is a very precious resource, but then so is human life. And sometimes people, they're in town, you know, you're having fun, you're out on the river, and you don't realize it's going to be 105, 110. It's very hot. It's very intense. And some of these areas can get pretty rugged. You can get stuck out there in a hurry and find yourself in trouble with no water. And so I believe from a community aspect, we try and make sure that people are prepared and that they know their own risk level and their own, not risk level, I guess, their own level of preparedness, what, they, what they're ready for, what their physical capabilities are and their choice of whatever adventure it is they want to undertake, but that they go prepared with maps, with proper clothing, with food, and with water um, so that people have a safe experience. And so from that perspective, that was a service that um, those folks were willing to offer to help with that. The folks at Gearheads, and I'm not getting paid to say this, but they're great. Not only do they provide free water to those who are recreating um, around Moab, and which you know primarily those are their clients, uh, but they were very helpful to uh, my family and I when we bought our replacement gear uh, to replace the gear that was stolen out of our tent uh, when we were camping there earlier this year. So, just wanted to give them a shout out because uh, they're they're very good folks. In any event. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeremy and Lisa. To the extent people have um, or want to find out more about the Bureau of Land Management and you guys, where can they go to find that information? You know, I actually just Googled BLM water, and I come up with there's actually a great water resources page that talks about the Soil Water Air Program, but it talks about inventory and monitoring and assessment for water quality, water quantity, and resource use and management. And then the other thing we didn't really cover today would probably be a whole separate topic would be the salinity program, um, Colorado River Salinity Control Program, which is something that we participate in. And so there's a whole bunch of information on that page. And I just Googled BLM and water, but if you want, you can also go to www.blm.gov and then it's slash W-O slash space slash engineering slash programming and then more, and then you can get to water. It just seems easier just to Google. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Well, uh, BLM resources, and that'll get you some pretty good information. And you can also just check out um, www.blm.gov, and that'll get you to some pretty cool stuff. Awesome. Well, Lisa and Jeremy, thank you again for your time. You guys were fantastic. Really appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you.
Dale. You bet. Thanks a lot, Dave. You bet. Bye. Well, that was my interview with Lisa Bryant and Jeremy Jarnicky of the Bureau of Land Management. And I want to thank them for working around their schedules to fit the interview in. I don't think most of us realize how thin we're stretching our public employees these days. And Lisa and Jeremy were great to work with. So here are my key takeaways from my discussion with them. First, for an agency charged with land management, water plays a big role. From basics like permitting to things you never really think about, like how a substantial portion of the water supply of the West starts out on public lands. That, to me, was a real eye-opener. I knew that snowmelt supplied a lot of the drinking water in the West, but I admit I never really thought about the connection between the federal ownership of that land and the snowmelt that supplies the drinking water. And Jeremy described it so eloquently. So great job, Jeremy. Another takeaway was that while the feds manage the resources, they don't always own the water rights, so permit applicants need to have that squared away early on. As Lisa indicated, if you need permits, you should talk with the BLM early on as well. Now, that's not legal advice, by the way, and you're not my client, but I digress. I just had to take that opportunity to say that. The interview also expanded on another aspect of the water energy nexus. Uh, and, you know, we've talked about the water energy nexus in previous podcasts. Uh, specifically in this podcast, we talked about the leasing of federal lands for energy development and water's role in that. And Lisa described the pioneering ways of the Moab's BLM field office uh, through the new master leasing planning effort that they're undertaking. Um, and as mentioned by Lisa, that new process analyzes energy development and gra its groundwater impact. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over time and whether or not additional BLM and other federal agencies, whether they adopt this uh, master leasing planning effort that the, uh, the Moab field office is adopting, um, especially as uh, energy development on public lands intensifies. Well, as usual, the show notes for this episode will be available online at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 12. Please let me know what interested you about the interview by leaving a comment on thewatervalues.com or by emailing me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993. Finally, if you've been enjoying the podcast again, please consider leaving a rating and a review on iTunes and Stitcher and any other podcast directory on which you download the podcast. And don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast and to sign up for the Water Values newsletter, which can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. You've been listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with us.